Well, good morning. All right, if you haven't already, go ahead and take out your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, page 499, if you're using one of the Bibles provided this morning. Good to see all of you on this beautiful Sunday summer morning. And I, I know some of you guys that come to our church regularly, you're probably freaking out about right now. Did y'all notice the notes this morning? They're front and back, okay? Some of y'all are already like, uh, honey, we should have brought a lunch today, okay? I'm going to give you a lot of information today, but we're going to move along quickly. So have your pens ready, your Bibles out, and uh, you write fast and I'll speak fast. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy what we're doing this morning. heard a story about a young woman that was expecting a very special date to arrive on a Friday night. She was dressed up. She was waiting patiently. However, by the time her date was about an hour late, she figured that he had just stood her up. And that he wasn't going to show up. So she took off her makeup and her pajamas. She gathered all the junk food in the house. Sat down to watch TV with the dog. Well, about the time her favorite show was just coming on, the doorbell finally rang. And it was her date. She answered the door in her pajamas and he stared at her and he said, I'm two hours late and you're still not ready? <laughs> well, I trust that our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Revelation, is getting us ready for the return of Christ. If that's true, say Amen. And that's why we've been studying this book, looking forward to that. And, and really today begins the moment that we've all been waiting for as we've been in this book for several months. I mean, we are now at the moment that this whole book is about, and really the whole Bible is about, the return of the King, the return of Christ as we jump into Revelation chapter 19, uh, verse 11. We have seen so far the rapture of the church take place in our timeline, seven years of tribulation. We've seen the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. We've seen the fall of Babylon. Uh, last week we talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb. The church becomes the bride of Christ. And now we're ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. Revelation 19 verse 11. And it says, John says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses as well. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fiercest of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you know who that is on that white horse, say yes. That's Jesus Christ, his return. I want to put a timeline on. We've looked at this throughout this study to kind of get our bearings of where we're at in all of Revelation, you know, we began with the church age in Revelation 2 and 3, learning about the church. Then we saw the rapture of the church take place in uh, chapter 4. And then we spent, you know, chapter 6 through 18 looking at the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation on the earth, all the judgments. Now we're at the second coming of Christ right here, then the millennium and right into eternity. So that's where we're at on our timeline. Now, I was planning today to, to approach this passage right here the way we have every other passage. We go to it, we break it down verse by verse, and we explain it as God has laid it out for us. And as I was beginning to study this, I just really felt strongly God impressing on my heart to say, you need to slow down a bit on this one. You can't just jump into this one like it's any other passage and just you know zip through it and, and just there it is because it is too monumental in the Bible, this event that we are about to study. I mean, it's huge. And I don't want every one of you to walk out of here this morning going, wow, I didn't realize how big this event is. Have any of you guys ever been somewhere? Maybe you went somewhere with your parents on vacation as a kid. Maybe they took you to like Washington, D.C. or, you know, took you somewhere, you know, Niagara Falls or Grand Canyon. And, you, you know, as a kid, you really didn't appreciate it that much. But then when you got older and maybe you learned a little bit more about the significance of that site, you're like, wow, I was there when I was a kid and all I cared about was, you know, getting an ice cream cone. And I didn't realize the significance of where I was at. I remember when I was a senior in high school, um, our, one of our graduation trips was a trip to Hawaii. And so there was a group of about, I don't know, 75 of us seniors that we got to go to Hawaii on our senior trip. And while we were there, they took us one day and we went to the Arizona Memorial. I think we have a picture of this. I don't know, how many of you guys have ever been to Hawaii and been to the Arizona Memorial? And, and I remember going to that as a senior in high school, and all I could, care, I could care less about it. I didn't even realize what it was all about. All I wanted to do was get back to the beach. 
But then, many years later, I got to go back as an adult. You say, you weren't an adult, a senior in high school? No, I was not. And I went back as an adult after I understood the significance of this spot and Pearl Harbor and what took place there and all the many lives that were lost. And I remember when I went back as an adult, I I was walking around, I was reading everything and tears were coming to my eyes and I was overwhelmed by the significance of the spot. But I didn't appreciate that until I was a little older and I understood where I was at. I remember when we took our trip to Israel with our church um, about a year and a half ago, about 14 of us went to Israel. And I remember thinking, I wish I would have been able to go to Israel about 20 years ago when I first went into the ministry. But then the thought also occurred to me, I don't think I would have appreciated it as much when I was in my 20s as I appreciated it being in my 40s and understanding the Bible and the significance of every spot and every place that we went to. Now I say all that to set up this passage because I don't think we can just jump into this passage without understanding the significance of what we are about to study and what we are about to look at. You see, as New Testament believers, we tend to know a lot about the rapture. You know, that's something we talk a lot about. There's been entire book series and movies made about the rapture, but there's not a whole lot of movies and things and talk about the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord. That's a different event. You see, we tend to come to the Bible as we should as New Testament believers, as New Testament Christians. And so our perspective with our New Testament Christian glasses on as the church is, you know, we get so focused on the rapture. That's the next prophetic event that's going to happen, that Jesus is going to return in the clouds and take us to heaven with him. And and we talk a lot about that. But we need to remember that Christianity is a 2,000-year period during a 7,000-year biblical calendar. We're just a portion of God's plan. And so our view tends to be all about salvation. You know, to us, the most significant event in the Bible is the cross and what Jesus did on the cross because it's so relevant to our lives. Amen? And we, 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 we tend to look at the Bible and think that's the theme of the Bible. We tend to look at the Bible and think that's the most significant event because it's the most significant to us. But I'm here to tell you, church, this morning, something that you may not have heard before. Might even challenge your belief system a little bit. God's view of the Bible is much different. The most significant day in the Bible to God was not when he put his son on a cross and he was crucified. It's the second coming. It's the day of the Lord. It's this event that we're about to look at. And, 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 you know, we can understand why as New Testament believers we need to take a little time to set this up because Paul, when he wrote to the church of New Testament believers in uh, Thessalonica, he spent an entire chapter, chapter 4, talking about the rapture, but then he just spent a little bit talking about the day of the Lord. And here's why. Because those New Testament believers were Jews who were coming out of the Jewish system and they had studied extensively the Old Testament. And if you study extensively the Old Testament, you would know this is the most significant event in the Bible. So he didn't have to say too much about the second coming or day of the Lord. They knew all about that, but this rapture was new to them. But we're 2,000 years removed from that. And so we're kind of the opposite. Um, Alexander McLaren, one Christian writer, said this, The early New Testament church thought more about the second coming of Christ than about death or heaven. They were not looking for a cleft in the ground called a grave, but a cleavage in the sky called glory. They were not watching for the undertaker, but for the upper taker. I like that, the way he says that. You see, it's important that we understand the difference between the rapture, where Jesus comes in the air, and we're caught up to meet him, and the second coming, where Christ literally comes to the earth. Sometimes I'm in conversations with people, and they talk about the second coming of Christ, and you have to ask them, now, are you talking about the rapture, or are you talking about the literal second coming, because those are two individual distinct events if you're with me say yes and i want to make sure you get that this morning because there's a lot of confusion about these two distinct events and the one we're about to look at is not the rapture it's the second coming of jesus christ another writer said it this way the first event the rapture is secret as the church is caught up to meet him in the air the second event is public When the church returns with Christ to defeat Satan and his associates, that would be the false prophet and the Antichrist, he'll set up his millennial reign in Jerusalem. And this is, church, the most important day on God's calendar. It is the most important day. If if someone were to ask you, what is the theme of the Bible? We'd probably get a lot of different answers. Well, I'm going to tell you biblically, and I'm going to show you biblically this morning, what the theme of the Bible is to the point that I hope you never forget it. And you have it in your notes, and I want you to write it down. The theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the day of the Lord. 
It's the day of the Lord. It's not the cross. As, as important of an event that was, that made possible this event that we're about to study. The day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Warren Wiersbe is one of my favorite Christian writers and, and uh, theologians, and I read a lot of his stuff, and he said this, The importance of Christ's second coming is evidenced by the fact that this truth is referred to twice as much as the crucifixion in the Bible. It's referred to twice as much as the crucifixion fiction eight times more than Christ's first coming and we all, we all know about Christ's first coming Christmas man and we make a big deal about it but yet the Bible talks eight times more about the second coming of Christ than the first coming of Christ it's in one in every 25 verses in the New Testament talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ in the 216 chapters of the New Testament there are 318 references to the second coming with entire chapters devoted to this subject. This suggests, Warren Wiersbe, I'm con continuing to quote, suggests that Christ's second coming is one of the most important themes and doctrines of biblical Christianity. So then the question is, well, why is this such an important day? I mean, what, why is the day of the Lord the second coming? I mean, why is that the theme of the Bible? Why is this such a big deal to God? Here's why, church. Don't miss this. This is the day that is coming where the Lord Jesus Christ will finally get the glory and honor that he deserves. That he did not get the first time he came. You know the story. He didn't get the honor. He didn't get the glory. He didn't get the praise that he deserved. But I'm telling you, he will get it the second time in an event called the Day of the Lord. And that has been God's ultimate goal since man fell in the garden way back in Genesis. Jesus himself understood the significance of the day of the Lord, the second coming. In his Lord's prayer, he mentions it whether you realize it or not. How many of y'all know the Lord's prayer? Okay. Anyone want to stand and quote it? Just kidding. We were, it was funny, just the other day in our house, we were talking about the Lord's Prayer. It came up, uh, we were sitting at dinner with our family and our two teenagers, and um, Caleb's baseball team does something I think is really awesome. The students huddle together for prayer, they lock arms, and they kneel, and they pray here at Prairie View High School on the baseball field before every game. And it's something that the students lead, and I think that's incredible, it's awesome. And uh, they're now in their summer ball program, they finished the spring, and, and, I, and he told me, I said, well, what do you guys pray? And he said, well, we usually we pray the Lord's Prayer, or we have this kind of baseball prayer we do. And I, I said, well, maybe every once in a while you should slip in, you know, just, uh, you know, just talk to God, you know, just normal type deal. And, you know, Lord's Prayer is cool and all that. And, and we were talking about the Lord's Prayer, and Caitlin says, oh, the Lord's Prayer, I know the Lord's Prayer. And she said, I could quote that one. And I was like, oh, really? That's, that's great, Caitlin. So she goes, yeah, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul. <laughs> For many children, that is the Lord's Prayer. But the Lord's Prayer is actually in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And you know it. Jesus said, in this manner, therefore, pray. And he gave us kind of a pattern, an example to pray. And here's what he said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's the next part? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you hear what the first request of the Lord's Prayer is? Your kingdom come. Say that, church. Your kingdom come. That's the first request of the Lord's Prayer. And probably many of you prayed that maybe hundreds or thousands of times and didn't even realize what you were saying. When we are saying your kingdom come, you know what we're asking for? The second coming of Christ. We're asking for His return. We're asking for the day of the Lord. The kingdom is this thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. We'll get into that here at the end of chapter 19 and 20 when He will actually bring His kingdom, a literal kingdom, to the earth and He'll rule and he'll reign for a thousand years in the kingdom the way it was supposed to be before man fell. And this kingdom will begin at the event called the day of the Lord. Now, here's one of the keys to Scripture and understanding Scripture when you study the Bible. Whenever you see the phrase, and I'm going to show this to you this morning. Anytime you see the phrase in the Bible, that day, it's talking about the day of the Lord. That day, what day? The day of the Lord, the second coming. Don't miss that because it's one of the keys that opens doors in your Bible to some stories you've maybe read about and known your whole life but didn't realize what they were a picture of. So I want to give you some keys today to unlock your understanding of this most significant event and theme of the Bible. So let's jump into this. Number one, some keys to unlock the day of the Lord. First of all, the day of the Lord is a key that unlocks our understanding of the last days. 
You know, when people say we're living in the last days, last days before what? Before the second coming, the return of Christ. And understanding the prophecies in the Bible about the day of the Lord helps us understand if we really are living in the last days or not. And if the events that we see around us, and when we read USA Today, and you know, we watch CNN, and we say, well, I think that might be an indicator that Jesus Christ is coming back. This is a key to understanding that. Jesus in Matthew 24 said this. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, they came to him privately saying, tell us when these things be. And they're asking, when are you going to come back? You know, when's going to be the end of the age? And he says, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. He's like, I'm going to tell you what to look for. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, there will be pestilences, diseases. There will be earthquakes in various places. And these are the beginning of sorrows. He goes on a little further talking to his disciples, and he tells them how he's going to come back in Matthew 24, 30. He says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming. How? On the clouds, that's important, of, of heaven with power and great glory. You know, how many of you, as you've turned on the TV and you've watched all these bizarre events taking place, I mean, it seems like every time we turn around every week, there's another earthquake. There's another tornado. There's another hurricane. Uh, there's a tsunami. There's floods. You know, we get, get out of one war and we get in another war. And, and people see those things and they say, well, Jesus said those things would happen before he returns. If, if you're with me, say yes. So this is a key to understanding this. But here's where people get confused. Those things, those, those current events that we see that line up with what Jesus said about him coming back, most people think that's an indicator that the rapture is about to take place. But in the context, Jesus wasn't talking about the rapture. He was talking about his literal second coming to set up his kingdom. So the closer that we see to that, we've got to back up seven years because the rapture happened seven years before that event. That ought to tell us how close we are to the second coming of Christ and even that much closer to the rapture of the church because those prophecies are directly in relation to the literal second coming, not the rapture, which happened seven years before. Here's another thing. The key, the day of the Lord is a key that unlocks the Old Testament. It's a key that unlocks the Old Testament. The day of the Lord is a key phrase when you read through the Old Testament. It's everywhere. Peter was talking to Israel in Acts chapter 3 verse 21 and he said this, God, he was talking about the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, the literal return of Christ, and he said this, God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. That's a huge statement. Peter says, from the beginning of the world, God's been talking about this certain day called the day of the Lord, the second coming, and all the Old Testament prophets talked about this day, every one of them. I mean, before he had even come the first time, they're already talking and prophesying his second coming, the day of the Lord. He's been talking about this. This is an interesting verse. Jude 14 says this. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, just seven generations from Adam, the first man, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. I mean, that's a long time ago, y'all. Seven people from Adam, the guy already starts talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. 4,000 years before Christ comes the first time, Enoch is already talking about the second time. And, and Peter says in Acts 3, everyone's been talking about this day. Let me give you some examples of everyone. Now, we could be here all day if I gave you all these. I'm just going to give you a sample. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 13, 6 said this, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 46, 10 said, For this is the day of the Lord of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 30, verse 3 said, For the day is near even the what? Day of the Lord is near. Joel, the prophet Joel in Joel 1.15 said, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. And we could go on and on. Others like Amos and Obadiah and Zechariah. All these Old Testament prophets. You check it out, man. All the minor prophets with a major message. You know those little books that we often don't read? Every one of them, they're talking about this event. 
They're talking about the second coming. They're talking about the kingdom. They're talking about the day of the Lord before He even comes the first time. There are over 1,800 references to the day of the Lord in the Scripture. 1,800. All of the prophets said the same thing about this day. Now, how is that possible that all these prophets in the Old Testament, a span of some 4,000 years, were all talking about the same day and saying the same things, and yet many of them lived hundreds of years apart? Here's how we know that they could all say the same thing, because there was really only one person doing the talking. It was God. He was the one, through the inspiration of Scripture, telling them, write down, tell people about this day, tell people about the day of the Lord, tell people about the most significant event on my calendar. And he had them write it down. And finally... This event becomes so known in the Old Testament and the Scriptures, it's so talked about, that it finally is just referred to as that day. That's all you had to say. You know that day? Oh yeah, that day. The day Jesus is coming back, the second coming when He's bringing His kingdom, that day. It kind of, it'd be like, you know, when we get into the fall and we're hopefully playing football again and they get that thing worked out and, you know, we're getting close to Sunday and people say, hey, you going to the game? You know, hey, you going to watch the game? You don't have to ask what game. Everybody knows you're talking about the Broncos game. You just say that game, the game. Well, that's how God uses this talking about the second coming. It was so much of a focus throughout the scriptures that it just becomes that day. And anytime you see that phrase in the Bible, that day, start looking around. God is either talking specifically about the day of the Lord or he's giving you a picture of what it's going to be like. Zechariah 12.2, Zechariah begins to just call it that day. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all people. And in that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its riders with madness. That's a description of the second coming. We're going to see that next week. Zechariah 12.8, in that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We know he's coming back to defend Israel. Is about to be destroyed by the nations of the world. Zechariah 12.9 It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. 24 times the prophet Zechariah just says that day and everybody knew what day he was talking about. Let me give you another key. This, the day of the Lord is a key that unlocks the entire Bible. Henry Thiessen, Christian writer, said this, Understanding the Bible is difficult or impossible. Let me say that again. Because I, I know we have a church that you want to know the Bible. You want to understand the Bible. That's why you're here. That's why you come to this church. That's why you're a part of this ministry. And, and he says, understanding the Bible is difficult or impossible without understanding the day of the Lord. The fundamental teaching of the Lord's return is the key to the scriptures. It's key. Number two on your outline. Why is the day of the Lord so key to the Bible? If it's so key to the Bible, why? Why? It's because God wants us to be as excited about that day as He is. Because here's the deal, Christians. It's not just His day, it's also our day. Because as believers, we are going to be with Him. Remember what Jude, in Jude 14, what it said about Enoch? Enoch, the seventh from heaven, prophesied about this day. And he said, behold, the Lord comes, but He's not coming alone. That's one of the things I loved about the clip from the Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's a picture I mean, where do you think they got that idea from? It's from the Bible. I remember the first time I watched that movie and I saw that scene, I was like, oh my gosh. Not only is it all over the Bible, but there it is on the big screen. It's a picture of the second coming. And if you know a little bit about the writer of the Lord of the Rings, he claimed to be a believer. He got it. I mean, the best stories, y'all, are in the Bible. And I love when he gets on that hill and he's like, you know, I stand alone. And the guy's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, oh, there you go. There's the Christians with him, you know, except they didn't have the white horses. They kind of messed that part up. But anyway, it's still a picture. Because it, he says he comes with ten thousands of his saints. And we're going to see that when we get into this passage verse by verse. That we come back with him. Revelation 19.14 says that when Jesus comes back literally to the earth. The armies of heaven follow him on white horses. If you've ever wanted your own white horse Christians. You're going to have it one day. You can look forward to that. All right. I hope mine's not too big. Okay. I need a small one. I need a pony. Revelation 20. Verse 4. Revelation 20, verse 4, listen to this. Live, it says that the Christians will live and reign with the Christ for how long? Thousand years. Do you all have that one? You don't have it? Okay, let's quote it. Thousand years. That we will not only come back with Him, but we'll stay with Him and we'll rule and reign with Him for a thousand years. This isn't just the day of the Lord, it's a day for Christians. To come back with Jesus Christ and to rule and reign with Him. Here's another reason why it's key. Because the day of the Lord is the most important day on God's calendar. I'll say it again. <coughs> Excuse me. 
You know, when we have important days on our calendar, you know, birthday, men, your anniversary, you know, Christmas, you know, vacation, whatever it is, you know, we, we, we find those on our calendar, you know, and we circle them, we put stars on them, we put a highlighter on them, we put smiley faces on them, you know, well, I can't wait for this day, you know, I'm going to retire. Y'all, this is the day that God on his calendar has highlighted and starred and smiley faced, and I mean, this is the day that he cannot wait for. You don't want to miss this day. Everything in the Bible is pointing to the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ, his son, finally gets the glory and honor that he deserves. And he doesn't want us to miss this day. The day when the good guy rides in on a white horse. Have you noticed that in movies? Why is the good guy always on a white horse? From the Bible. It's where it comes from. Nothing new under the sun. We'll spend the rest of our time answering this question. What is the day of the Lord? Okay, this is the most important day on God's calendar. And everybody's talking about it. I want to understand it. What is it? I mean, what is really going to happen? What is this day all about that God can't stop talking about? And I want you guys to understand it. What is this day? Well, the word day in the Bible can refer to a 24-hour period. Or it can also refer to an extended period of time which God is accomplishing some special purpose. Sometimes the Bible, when it says a day, it's talking about a literal day. Other times, it's, it's, it's a day that's a time period. Uh, let me give you an example. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it talks about the evening and the morning and that there was a day, and that was a literal day. But then you come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, and it says, In the day that the Lord created the world and everything. So at one point, he's talking about a literal day, and at another point, he's talking about that whole creative week, and he kind of refers to it as a day like a time period. Well, that helps us to understand the day of the Lord because it, there is a specific day, but it also encompasses some other events. And this is where people get confused uh, prophetically. And I want to help you with this. So first of all, get this in your notes. Specifically, the day of the Lord is the actual day, the moment when Jesus Christ returns to the earth with us at his second coming to establish his earthly kingdom. That's a specific day. However, scripturally, it is also representative of over a thousand years where God is in a day doing something. It begins immediately following the day of Christ, which would be the rapture of the church. And then it encompasses the seven years of tribulation we've been studying in Revelation. And then the second coming and even the millennium. So there is that specific day Jesus Christ will come back. But also sometimes the day of the Lord is referred to as soon as the rapture happens, that whole event can fall under the day of the Lord as well. If that makes sense, say yes. Now I want you to understand that because some people get confused because it, it, it's kind of used in a dual purpose way. Um, in 2 Timothy 4.1, Paul kind of helps us understand this as a two-part event. He said to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. At his appearing and his kingdom. There are two phases to the day of the Lord. First, there's his, his appearing, where he appears in the clouds at the rapture, and we are caught up to meet him. But then there is his kingdom where he literally, second coming, comes back to the earth. You can study these out. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, you see the rapture. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 2, you see the second coming. And Paul lays those out clearly. In his classic work called Jesus is Coming, the late W.E. Blackstone devoted his entire, uh, an entire chapter to the distinction between the two phases of the second coming, which he calls the rapture and the revelation. And I quote, and he says this in the book, at the rapture... Uh, at the rapture, Christ comes for his saints in the air. At the revelation, he comes with the saints to the earth. The rapture involves a spiritual kingdom, the church. The revelation, an earthly kingdom. The rapture may occur at any moment. The revelation does not occur until the times and seasons, until the rapture and the tribulation and all those things are fulfilled. The rapture rescues the saints from the tribulation period, whereas the revelation rescues and rewards the elect of Israel who pass through the tribulation period. I, I think that really clears up these two distinct events, but they all can fall under the title of the day of the Lord. Now you've heard the statement, a picture's worth a thousand words. And God knows that. You know, that, that statement came from God. He understands that. And that is why you have so many amazing stories in the Old Testament. 
Those are not just fun stories that make good little flannel graph lessons in Sunday school. Some of you younger ones are going, what's a flannel graph lesson? Some of you older ones like me, you know exactly what I'm talking about, man. The flannel graph lesson, you know. And these little sticky guys on, the, on a board. And, and they would tell these, these stories in the Bible. And, and, and many of you, you, you heard those stories as a kid. Some of you, those stories are new to you. And you, you, maybe you've just come to Christ. And you start reading the Bible in the Old Testament. And you hear these amazing stories and these incredible things that God is doing. And, and sometimes you, maybe you go, well, that was a really interesting story. But Why? What was that all about? And you know what? Almost every one of those stories, what you'll find, if you look around, they're pictures of the second coming. God is painting us a picture of what this day is going to be like because he wants you to understand it and know about it. There's some amazing pictures. And for those of you who like to do a little extra homework, a little extra digging, go read about the famous story of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea with Israel. Go read the story of Jericho and the walls coming down. Go read when the nation of Israel defeated the Amorites and look around and you'll see the phrase, in that day. And that was an event that actually happened, but it was also a picture of the second coming and what God is going to do in those when he also delivers Israel. It's a picture of the second coming. Now, I want to give you some specific ones this morning. You can go check those out on your own. But it's, it's like God in the Old Testament with these stories he gives us, it's like, the, it's like the trailer, it's like the preview of a movie. You know, you go to the movie theater and, and you know, it's okay if you're 15, 20 minutes late nowadays because you've got to sit through the previews. You know, but man, you watch, they're so good at putting those previews together because every one of them you go, oh man, i got to see that movie. You know, and then you go to the movie and like all the good parts were in the, you know, 30 second preview and you're like, oh, that stinks. You know, but God with these stories in the Bible has given us a preview of the second coming. He's trying to get us to understand and buy into this day and get excited about it. And he's painted this picture from the beginning, if you know what to look for. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible. I believe you'll find it on probably page 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now... When we think about a day, now hang with me. If you, if you hang with me, don't fall asleep and, and catch this, you're going to see something really cool. Some of you have seen this before. I've shared something like this. Some of you, this is new. If you've seen it before, it's good to see it again because you probably didn't get it the first time, okay? So, so we're going to look at this again. When we think of a day, you know, we tend to think of, you know, the sun comes up in the morning, it's up all day, and then it's night, the day is done. So we think of the morning and the evening is a day. That's, that's how... As humans, that's how our minds think. But that's not how God thinks. God doesn't think of the morning and the evening as a day. He's, he thinks of a day in the context of the evening and the morning. Just the opposite of the way that we think. And let me show you what I'm talking about. Genesis chapter 1 verse 5. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the, say it church, evening and the morning were the first day. Do you see that? When God defines a day, at the, I mean, you're five verses into the Bible, he says, I define a day as the evening and the morning, not the morning and the evening. In other words, God says, in my mind, when I think of a day, it's dark and then it gets light. Oh, big deal. That's a big deal, y'all. Here's why it's a big deal. Because that right there is a picture of the day of the Lord. That right there is a picture of the second coming. Think about what we've been studying in Revelation. What happens first? The rapture of the church, which today the Bible says we are the light of the world. We get taken out of here. Guess what? It spiritually gets really dark on this planet when all of the Christians are gone. When you study like we have the seven years of tribulation, it is a very dark time on this earth. It's the dark days of judgment. The church is gone. It's a very dark time after the rapture. But you know what happens when Jesus comes back, the second coming? It gets light again. Because the light of the world is back. Jesus and the church is with him. So it goes from the evening to the morning. That's a picture right there of the day of the Lord. And just to help us out to make sure we don't miss it, look at what God says in Malachi chapter 4 verse 1. We're going to put it on the screen for you. For behold, the day is coming. You all know the context? That should get your attention. Oh, I know, now. I know what day that is. Second coming, day of the Lord. The day is coming and then he describes it. It's burning like an oven and all the proud, yes, all who... Or do wickedly will be stubble 
And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Now watch this. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And I didn't put this on the screen the way I wanted. This is how it should be in your Bibles. It's the capital S-U-N of righteousness. It's spelled like the sun in the sky, but it's capitalized. God did that. I didn't do that. You know why? He's painting us a picture. The Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ, is going to come back like the morning sun when He returns to the earth. This is both a title and a description that we see here of Jesus Christ. How He's going to come back. In 2 Peter 1.19, you know what He called Jesus? The Day Star. In Revelation 22.16, you know what He's described as? The Bright and Morning Star. So you have this progression. You have the day of the Lord that begins with darkness, the rapture and the tribulation. And then the sun rises in the east, the sun of righteousness, Jesus Christ. It's the second coming like the sun coming up in the morning. Do you all realize this? this is, if you can catch this, you'll never see a sunrise the same again. Every morning when you see the sun come up, some of you get up early enough, I don't. But some of you get up early enough you drive to work and you see the sun come up as you're driving to work. If, that, if that's you, would you raise your hand? Anybody like that? I'll pray for you guys. I feel bad for you. <laughs> Next time you're driving to work and you see that sun begin to rise and the darkness melt off, that's not just the sun coming up. That's a picture that God has painted in the sky every day that he's coming back. He's coming back just like the sun rises in the east. And you know what the Bible says? You know where he's going to come? The Bible says he's going to come in the east. Like the sun of righteousness. That just gives me goosebumps saying that. You'll never see the sunrise the same again if you understand what God has been. You say, I wish he'd give me a sign. He put a big ball of fire in the sky every morning to remind us I'm coming back. Just like that. It's amazing. There's a day that's going to begin with the darkness of judgment, but the sun of righteousness is going to rise in the east, the day star, the bright and morning star, and the earth will forever shine with his glory while he's here. Now, God goes on in Genesis to picture this for us, so we get it. So you've you got to see this. And, and I know some of you have seen this before, but I, I don't think you'll mind seeing it again. Watch what God does here in the creative week. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good. He divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the what, church? The first day. He goes on. He creates a little bit more. Verse 8. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. You know, some people, you know, challenge, are these literal days or not? I think God's pretty literal. Evening and the morning, he calls a day. Verse 13, so the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 19, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. He continues to create. Verse 23, so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 31, then God saw everything that it, he made. It was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. The creative week was finished in six days. And on the... We're going to do that again because this is you can't miss this. You need to underline this in your Bible. You need to star it. You need to highlight it. Smiley face it. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it he set it apart because he rested from all his work which he had created this is the history of the heavens and he goes on and he goes on and he goes on well that was boring not if you're paying attention did you notice what god does now listen there's something that we are very passionate about here in this church when it comes to the Word of God. God is a God of order and a God of pattern. He doesn't waste space in the Scriptures. Every Word of God is pure, Proverbs says. God just does not make mistakes. And God is not forgetful. If you agree with that, say yes. And He gives us this pattern if you'll pay attention. The evening and the morning, first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. What's missing there's no evening and morning. He breaks the pattern on the seventh day. Well, maybe he just slipped up on that one. Maybe he forgot. No. 
He's letting us know. He's painting a picture about the seventh day for us. It's a day that doesn't have an evening and a morning. When the sun comes up on the seventh day, it's not going down again. There is no evening and morning. You see, the seventh day is a picture of the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years in Jerusalem, where the Bible says when He comes back like the sun, He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years in Jerusalem. And check this out. Revelation 21-23 says, The city in that day had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, because the glory of God illuminates it, and the Lamb is the light. Yeah! (laughs) That is sweet, man! I mean, right there... In the creative week, God paints us this picture of the seventh day where He's going to come back like the Son of Righteousness and there's not going to be an evening and morning because there's not going to be a need for one. He's the Son and everything is light for a thousand years. And in Genesis 2-3, notice what He says. Then God blessed the seventh day and He set it apart. He sanctified it. He said, man, that is my day. That's my day. Six days I did all the creating of man and all the things that he would need. But the seventh day, that's my day. Has no evening and no morning and it says he rested. And it's his day. It's been set apart from the beginning, y'all. Now hang with me. 1,800 times after God says this in the very first chapter of the Bible, he continues to talk about that day. That second coming day. The day of the Lord. That special day that is God's day, that seventh day. Not the first day, not the fourth day, not the sixth day, the, say it church, the seventh day. There's something special about the seventh day. That's why we say seven is God's number. And you see it all throughout the Bible. Now watch this. In Ezekiel, or excuse me, Exodus 31, 17, God through Moses says this. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel. How long? Forever. What, what, what's the sign? What's the sign? God's like, I'm giving you a sign. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, and he was refreshed. You go over to the New Testament in Acts chapter 3, you know what Peter talks about, the second coming, the day of the Lord, and he says it's a time of refreshing. That seventh day, that thousand-year-long day, you see this consistent pattern in Scripture. In Scripture, six days, the seventh day is God's day. It's the day of the Lord. It's the second coming. God painted this picture for Israel in Exodus chapter 24, verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain. Remember, he was going up to get the Ten Commandments and meet with God. Remember the story? And Moses went up on the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Remember how Jesus is coming back on the clouds? God's painting them a picture so they don't miss it. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it. Oh, how interesting. How long? Do we have that up there? Oh, that's why you guys aren't answering, see? How long did it it cover the mountain? Six days. And on the seventh day, God calls to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain and the eyes, uh, in the eyes of the children of Israel. I mean, six days they're up there, but on the seventh day, God shows up like consuming fire. Wonder what that's a picture of. It's the day of the Lord. I mean, it's a picture on the mountain that he gives to Moses. Jesus gives us a picture of that day. In Matthew 16, 27, I love this one, it's so cool. For the Son of Man will come, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels. What event is that? It's the day of the Lord, the second coming. And then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He tells his disciples, I'm coming back. You're going to see me come back, second coming, and some of you are going to see it happen. Now, either there are some really old dudes running around that are like 2,000 years old, or Jesus is about to show them something. And watch what happens next in the Scripture. He tells them he's coming back, and then it says, Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And how interesting. His face shone like the... 
sun and his clothes became white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with them. It's a picture of his second. You know what the Mount of Transfiguration is? It's a picture of Jesus at the second coming. And he does this with his disciples after six days. He does it on the Yo, I could not make this stuff up if I tried. All over the Bible and creation, God is screaming out a message about the seventh day. The seventh day. Six days he created, seventh day he rested. Six days a week he tells us we're to work. The seventh day we're supposed to rest. Six days he told the nation of Israel to plow their fields. In the seventh year, don't plow it. Let it rest. Six years he said you can have a servant. In the seventh year, you let him go free. We say, God, give me a sign. He's like, <laughs> it's everywhere. The seventh day is coming. Now, here's the question everybody wants to know. How close are we to this event? How close are we to the seventh day? I mean, what time is it on God's calendar? I mean, what's up with six days and then the seventh day is the day of the Lord? Okay, we're about done, but you don't want to miss this one. In 2 Peter 3, verse 8, Peter is talking about the day of the Lord, the second coming. That's the context. And listen to what he says. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. I mean, you can forget some stuff, but don't forget this. If you want to know, at least have an idea when the Lord's coming out. Now, now let me say, let me preface this whole section that we're about to close with with saying this. I do not believe anyone knows the day or the hour when Jesus Christ is coming back because that's what he told us. Harold Camping found that out recently. Okay? <laughs> But, however, the Bible does say we should pay attention to the times and seasons and look around because God gives us indicators. And Peter says this, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as or like a thousand years. And a thousand years is really like one day to the Lord. And the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness. He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that we should all come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. But He gives us this little, just this little nugget, this little hint when He says that a thousand years are like a day and a day is like a thousand years. And if you plug that in to the creative week where God created everything in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And if to God those are like a thousand years, you have a thousand years happening for six thousand years. And then the seven thousandth year, the thousandth year, that's the day of the Lord. That's the millennial reign of Christ. Now we don't know exactly when Adam and Eve were in the garden. They didn't keep us a nice calendar and hand it down to us. But most Bible scholars believe that... When you study the Bible and you study human history, that w there has been about 6,000 years of human history. 2,000 be before the law, 2,000 under the law, 2,000 as the church. You know what that tells us, y'all? The seventh day is real close. It's real close. If you just kind of connect the dots. We have to be living in the last days. And, and, and I'm not the first one to discover this, far from it. I want to give you a couple of quotes. Rabbi Elias, in 200 B.C., 200 years before Christ, studying the scripture, recorded these words. And we have them in antiquity. The world endures 6,000 years. 2,000 before the law, 2,000 under the law, and 2,000 under Messiah. Irenaeus, one of the church leaders, the early church leaders in the first century and, or second century, in, in 150 A.D., recorded these words in a book that he wrote. He said this, This is an account of things formerly created, as also it is a prophecy of what is to come. For the day of the Lord is as a thousand years, and in six days created things were completed. It is evident, therefore, that they will come to an end at the six thousand years. And that seven thousand year is whose day? It's God's day. It's the day of the Lord. It's the second coming. You see, there's a distinct correlation between Christ's first coming and his second coming in the Bible. But, but it's a correlation of contrast. In the first time Jesus Christ came, 
There was a tiny star in the east and a few wise men saw it and they came to the manger. The second time Jesus comes, the Bible says it's not a tiny star. He's coming as the sun of righteousness, the day star, the morning star, and everyone in the earth will see his glory. The first time Jesus came, he came as a helpless baby laid in swaddling clothes in a manger. The second time he comes, he comes as the king of kings and lord of lords and he's clothed in glory. The first time that Jesus Christ came, he came as the Lamb of God. The second time he comes, the Bible says he's coming as the Lion of Judah. The first time that Jesus came, there was no room in the inn for him to to be laid. The second time he comes, the whole world would be full of his glory. The first time that Jesus came, he laid down his life. The second time he comes, he's taken up his throne. The first time he came, they beat him, he shed his blood, they put a purple robe on him and they mocked him. The second time that he comes, he's going to have a robe of majesty. It's going to be dipped in his enemy's blood. The first time he came, there was one crown of thorns placed on his head. But the revelation says the second time he comes, he's going to be crowned with many crowns. The first time that he came, the world laughed at him. They scoffed him and they mocked him. But Psalm 2.4 says this. The second time he comes, he who sits in heaven shall laugh. And the Lord shall hold them in derision. He'll get the last lap. There's a similarity of the first and second coming, but it's a similarity of contrast. You know, and as we close this this morning, I hope you guys have gained a greater understanding and appreciation that this is the event, the day that the Bible has been talking about from the beginning. Does that help you understand the significance of this event? If it does, say yes. We can't just just read through this like it's any other event because it's not. This is the day when the good guy wins. And those who know him win with him. And I want to make sure that we're on the winning side when the return of the king takes place. Whose side are you on this morning? Whose side will you be on in that day? I mean, I think the practical question we have to ask is, are you ready? Are you excited for this day? Do you know you'll be with him? Or will you be against him? This is the greatest day on God's calendar. It's the day that he says pray for. Pray for this day to come. I mean, when was the last time, I had to ask myself this this week, when was the last time that I prayed, your kingdom come? I can't wait for you to come back. Why? Because that's when you're going to get the glory and the honor that you deserve and that you didn't get the first time. You know, today, until he comes to rule and reign on a throne, today he wants to rule and reign on the throne of your life and my life as we submit to him as we live for him, as we bring him in honor and glory. Now, in that day, he's going to get it, but today he gets it through our lives if we will give our lives to him. In 2 Peter 3.11, Peter said this, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord? You know, if we believe that that day is soon, we need to be ready. We need to be pleasing the Lord, not be ashamed when he comes and that we're ready and that we know which side we're going to stand on in that day.